Hello, and welcome to My Summer in Alaska. This series is about my two-month experience living and studying in Fairbanks, Alaska at the University of Alaska Fairbanks. Let me give you some background. So my name's Emily Cherish. I'm 22 years old, living in New York City. In January, I was sitting in my New York City apartment thinking about what I wanted to do this upcoming summer. I know I wanted to go somewhere new, meet people, and most importantly, learn new things. As I was doing my research about what could satisfy this, I came across the University of Alaska Fairbanks located in Fairbanks, Alaska. I was scrolling through the course offerings and seeing classes like fly fishing, archaeological excavation, and I was like, okay, I'm intrigued. So a couple months passed and I kept thinking about it. I expressed my interest in taking classes with UAF and we teamed up to make this series so you can get a glimpse into life in Alaska during the summer, meet some people around Fairbanks, and get a feel for what class is like at the University of Alaska Fairbanks. I wanted an adventure this summer, so I'm excited to share my experience with you. Episode 1, Welcome to Fairbanks. Today is the day I leave for Fairbanks. I'm a little nervous, I'm a little excited, not really sure what to expect, so let's go. I took a flight from LaGuardia to Minneapolis, and now I'm at the airport in Minneapolis, and I'll be taking a flight from here to Fairbanks, and then I'll be there. Five hour plus flight to Fairbanks today. Okay, I just got into my apartment in Fairbanks. One bedroom, on-campus apartment, got a nice kitchen, study, bathroom, living room. Apartments in Alaska are definitely more spacious than ones in New York. Very happy with this. I'm gonna get some sleep, so I'm ready for the week of exploration ahead. Okay, this being my first week in Fairbanks, I've reached out to some people who could give me the lowdown on what Fairbanks is all about. So I'm going to take you on a day out in Fairbanks. Talk to the people, see the sights. Let's go meet some people from Fairbanks. So we're going to start the week off by talking to Dermot Cole. I was referred to him multiple times by people around town. He's regarded as the town historian of Fairbanks. So let's hear a little bit about the history of Fairbanks. Fairbanks is an unusual community for many reasons, and its origin is sort of pretty particularly odd. Native people have traveled through this region for thousands of years. The real community of Fairbanks didn't come about until about 120 years ago, which is really fairly recently. A man named E.T. Barnett, who was was actually traveling upriver, up on the Yukon River and then up on the Tanana River, took the Chena River to try and get around some shallow water and rapids on the Tanana River. Well, unfortunately, he got stuck. So E.T. Barnett was the first man who ever found himself stuck in Fairbanks, really. The, the captain who owned the, the Sternwheeler said, you know, you got to get off. So they um, forced Barnett and his wife to unload all of their trading goods at the site where Fairbanks is located now. Can you explain uh, a bit more about E.T. Barnett? Yes, well, he, he had been banned from the state of Oregon <laughs> as, as a young man in his 20s. And he, you know, conveniently was able to hide that during his early years in Alaska. In addition to being the first mayor and and the, the sort of founder of the, the community, he was also uh, the promoter of one of its first banks, the Washington Alaska Bank. And when the bank failed, many of the depositors turned on Barnett and in essence, he he escaped from the the community. It was widely believed by among his enemies that criminal behavior had taken place. Now at that time, banks were poorly regulated, actually not regulated at all. So it's impossible to say really what was going on 
bankruptcy proceedings for the for the Washington Alaska Bank lasted for more than 20 years. With this bank failure, he became really a um, a hated man. After he show, showed up here and became the leading figure of the community, he was basically run out of town less less than a decade later. My twin brother Terrence, who uh, passed away last December, he he was a a history professor at the university for many years. Uh, his master's thesis at, at UAF was on what became the f one of the first books about the early history of Fairbanks. Barnett showed up here in, in 1901. So in August 1901, he was basically kicked off the boat. The following year, Felix Pedro did discover gold, but it uh, maybe was not uh, in sufficient quantities to warrant a stampede. In fact, it wasn't. <laughs> but Barnett hired a man named Jujiro Wada. So he hired Wada, who had been working as a cook on, on, a, on a steamboat, to take a winter trip by dog team from Fairbanks to Dawson to promote this gold strike. It was land promotion scheme aided by the sort of uh, natural inclination of newspapers to play things up. Jujiro Wada goes to Dawson. There, this gold strike is promoted as the biggest thing that's ever happened. And so immediately, hundreds of people left Dawson in the winter to come to, to Fairbanks. In search of gold. In search of gold, yeah. They liked what they had heard, and he told a really convincing story. Well, problem is, these people all got to Fairbanks late winter and the spring, and there was really nothing going on, and there was no gold to be had, and it was winter. Wada was nearly lynched. And Barnett, as sort of the man who put him up to this, was really uh, under the gun, too. These stampeders were really mad. The, the gold rush really, you know, was at its peak until 1910 or so. And then kind of dwindled off after that and really went down almost nothing by the time of World War I. Wow. So what is the community like after the gold rush dies down, like what is the transition from gold rush Fairbanks to post gold rush Fairbanks? The railroad being at, at the top of the list. And that, that was a you know federal public works project. It was approved. It was lobbied into existence by uh, James Wickersham, who was one of the key people in the, find, in the founding of Fairbanks. In fact, the town is named Fairbanks because of Wickersham. Wickersham's hero and mentor was Charles W. Fairbanks, who was a... Indiana senator and a vice president under Theodore Roosevelt. To curry favor with Fairbanks, Wickersham wanted to name a town after him, wanted, you know, to show how big of a big shot he was in Alaska. And Wickersham was. Wickersham was the most powerful government official in Alaska in the first years of the 20th century. Hmm. There was no real government. And so as, a, as the judge, he exercised a great deal of authority on lots of things, one of the top items being the location of his courthouse. Put, he put his courthouse in Fairbanks because Barnett agreed to name the town Fairbanks. Then Wickersham could go to Charles W. Fairbanks and say, look what we've done. We've named a town for you. Great. You know. So Wickersham became a booster of Fairbanks. And when he became Alaska's non-voting delegate to Congress, that's when he began working on these items that really saved the community. The, and one of them was the Alaska Railroad. Another one was the Alaska, what was then known as the Alaska Territorial College and School of Mines. UAF was that? Yes. Oh, wow. Yes. The railroad is at the top of the list because the building of the railroad 
not only created employment, it also created for the first time a, a way to get access year-round to Fairbanks. Hmm. Because before the railroad, you either travel in the summer on the rivers, or most likely you didn't travel at all because the only real option was to walk or by dog team or horse-drawn sleigh. But once the, once the railroad was built, changed that entirely because it made Fairbanks easily accessible from the coast. Can you describe Fairbanks in its modern setting? It's not particularly hidebound by tradition here, you know. And so there's a lot of opportunity for people if they can find the right position for themselves. Thanks to Dermot. Now that I have my bit of history, I want to see what's going on today in Fairbanks. We're going to drive through downtown Fairbanks to get a feel for the diverse institutions and scenes going on in Fairbanks. I pass places like the Ice Museum all the way to my next destination, the Morris Thompson Cultural Center. Everyone told me you got to go here first to kind of get a gist and they have a free museum. So I was like, OK, obviously I have to go. I sat down with my next guest, Sarah Harriger. This is Sarah Harriger. I'm the executive director of the Morris Thompson Cultural and Visitor Center. And we are actually here at the Morris Thompson Cultural and Visitor Center in Fairbanks, Alaska. The Morris Thompson Center is a place for gathering, discovery, education, and celebration. That's actually our mission statement. We have a, an exhibit that teaches people about the life ways and peoples and history of interior Alaska. We always say that the Morris Thompson Center is your first stop in Fairbanks. It's a really great place to come right when you arrive here, whether you're visiting or moving to Fairbanks, because you can learn all about this part of Alaska, um, from history to what's available now, what's fun to do in Fairbanks. Fairbanks is a really different place in July than it is in, say, January. I think a really fun thing to do in Fairbanks is to get a coffee. We have possibly more coffee huts than any place I've been in the United States. Excellent, convenient access to coffee at all hours. So grab your coffee, go rent a canoe, there are a couple places you can do it, and float down the Chena River with your life vest on. Um, from downtown Fairbanks to the Pump House, which is a great restaurant where you can hop out and have a drink on the deck, have a meal. It's just a nice, relaxing way to be outside. Um, obviously, this is a July suggestion, mm, not yeah. a January suggestion. A lot of cool music-related activities in this town. We have a lot of different music festivals. Um, a lot of them are grassroots, you know, often free. Um, a lot of people play music with their friends here. It has that kind of you know, vibe, um, especially in the summers. Another one is the Midnight Sun Festival. That's coming up pretty soon. The Midnight Sun Festival is the single biggest gathering in the state of Alaska. It happens under the midnight sun in midsummer in Fairbanks. And it's a, it's a really fun time with lots of local vendors, lots of activities, performances, and it's just a time for the whole community to come together and kind of blow off some steam and have some fun together. And after such a long winter, it's nice outside with sun for 24 hours a day, and it just gives you this energy. How people relate to one another and what the communal aspects are. Yeah, we have an interesting community that has uh, a college campus on one side and a, you know, a military base on the other side. And a lot of people who are drawn here, I think, seeking sort of the frontier life, um, kind of independence. So it, it has a very eclectic feel to it. At the same time, everybody is dealing with challenges. You know, this is a place where you might break down on the side of the road in the winter and it could be 40 or 50 below zero. If you see somebody broken down on the side of the road when it's 40 below, you're gonna stop and help them. And so I think compared to other places, Fairbanks does still have a little bit more of that community feeling. It's more comfortable maybe than in some environments to go ahead and 
talk with someone you don't know. Another cool thing about Fairbanks is that because of the, the base and the university, you get people from all over the world. So, um, you know, one, one thing I'd point out is we've got all these wonderful Thai restaurants and you just run into people from everywhere, you know? Uh, so we have kind of this international feel in a way, but you just get surprised on a pretty regular basis when you find out what these people in Fairbanks are up to, you know, where do they go in the winter? Um, what are their connections outside of this community and what do they bring back to it that you can enjoy here in this beautiful natural setting? Thanks to Sarah. After finishing the interview with Sarah, I asked her if she had any recommendations for people that personified the spirit of Fairbanks. Without hesitation, she referred me to my next guest. This is Steve Vick, a local dog musher and founder of Noble Paws. Noble Paws teaches people with disabilities, at-risk youth, and veterans how to run a team of sled dogs. My name is Steve Vick. I uh, run a nonprofit up here in Fairbanks called Noble Paws. Our mission is to teach kids with disabilities, autism, cerebral palsy, Down syndrome, um, those, those kids come to us, and what we do is we just teach them how to run their own team. Then when the snow comes, they already know how to handle the dogs, harness the dogs, and line them out. So when we hop on the sleds, they're not overwhelmed. They already know all about the dogs. Now they can figure out, like, the sled, how to run it, how to stop it, how to get off of it without losing your team. And eventually they're running their own team independently, like from start to finish. They'll handle, harness, line out, hop on the sled, run the team, come back, and put the dogs away all on their own. How many dogs do you have in total? We got 20. People associate dog mushing with the Iditarod because that's how they see it, right? And those are, uh, are race dogs um, that are trained to do 100 or plus miles every day. They're doing a thousand mile race. But, but people do mushing for recreational reasons. They might have a small team of five or six dogs and they just go out on weekends and go five, 10 miles with their dogs. If I could go back in time, this is the one job I'd want. I would want to be part of the mail delivery system that ran mail from Fairbanks to Nome um, because I did it by dog team. And so, and that was pretty much what they did is they would have their dog teams and they'd have all the mail and they would go to a village by trail. There'd be roadhouses along the way that they could stay in and those roadhouses would be fitted for dog teams. So there'd be places to tie out your dog team. You could feed your dog team. You'd go in and get your own meal, sleep, come back. That's where the serum run came from. The village of Nome, this is back in early 1900s. The village of Nome had a diphtheria outbreak and kids were literally dying and the, the antibiotic, was in Anchorage, but they couldn't get to Nome because there was no planes at that time. Uh, There's just no way to get it to Nome quickly. And so what they ended up happening is they were able to get to Nanana, which is a village south of here. From there, they had that, um, that trail, the mail run trail, and that's what they ran. So they ran a dog team. The diphtheria serum went into a dog sled and just a whole relay of dog teams the whole way. Just transferred that all the way to Nome. Fairbanks is known as the mushing capital of the world. And a lot of the best racers come here, or are from here, um, and a lot of the best races are here. Like the Open North American Championships is here. The Yukon Quest starts and or finishes here. And, and we have some of the greatest trails. Like literally from my dog yard, I can go to my neighborhood trails. There's going to be a trail that will connect me to the White Mountains. Once I'm on the White Mountains, I can go to Nome or I can go to Canada. I can go on any trail there because they just kind of all interconnect after a while. It tracks me that I'm outside, I'm with dogs, which I just love being with dogs, and um, you're in nature. I think it's a great combination. And again, that's kind of part of the program too, is the kids are outside, they're connecting with dogs, and they're physically active. That's what attracts me. I wouldn't, yeah, I wouldn't, I couldn't not do this. Yeah. Thanks to Steve. I finished off my first week in Fairbanks by attending the annual Bob OQ. Correct. 
barbecue, not barbecue. Essentially, the barbecue is a barbecue, but it's hosted by a guy named Bob. So my classmate invited us to come to this, and my first response was, oh, how much is it? And she goes, oh, there's no entrance fee. Bob puts it on for free every year for the community of Fairbanks. I couldn't believe it. Why would he welcome me and a bunch of people he doesn't know? I was a little dubious, but I was like, okay, let's check it out. So we show up, and there's tables full of chicken, burgers, pasta, salads, fruits, desserts, literally everything. And there's Bob smiling and greeting us as if we had all known each other for years. I asked Bob, how did the barbecue come to be? It was started out as a housewarming, and then it built into a community event. <laughs> this was one of the most telling introductions to Fairbanks. Bob is a good example of how much people value their community here. In my first week here, I was welcomed with open arms by total strangers. I had so many genuine conversations with people I felt cared about, listened to, and accepted right off the bat. I'm excited to spend the rest of my summer here in Fairbanks, and I hope you enjoy the next couple episodes. This podcast is presented by the University of Alaska Fairbanks. A special thanks to producer Marmion Grimes and Samara Tabor. Thank you to everyone at UAF. For more information on the classes that I took, you can check out uaf.edu.